Tonight, God's Word comes to us from Colossians chapter 4, the last chapter of this letter of Paul. Colossians 4, we're going to begin our reading at verse 2, and tonight focus on verse 7 to the end of the chapter. Colossians 4, beginning at verse 2, what we hear now is God's Word. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us, that God may open to us a door for the word, to declare the mystery of Christ, on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time, Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so you may know how you ought to answer each person. Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. He is a beloved brother and faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. And with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you. They will tell you of everything that has taken place here. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you, and Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who is called Justice, These are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear witness that he has worked hard for you, and for those in Laodicea and Hierapolis. Luke, the beloved physician, greets you, as does Demas. Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. And when this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans, and see that you also read the letter from Laodicea. And say to Archippus, see that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. Here we end the reading of God's holy word. Well, tonight is the last of our sermons on the book of Colossians. This book we have been studying together for a number of months now, and we have again and again rehearsed the structure of the book. And one of the reasons we do that is so that if somebody asked you, can you tell me very briefly what is Colossians about, Uh, you would have an answer. We talked about chapter 1 as the introduction to the book, Paul's prayer for the church, and Paul's discussion about the supremacy of Christ. Christ as the firstborn in creation, Christ as the firstborn in redemption. Chapter 1, introduction. Chapter 2 was the warnings. Two fundamental warnings given to us. Beware of human philosophy 
and beware of being taken captive again by the law. Paul warns the church about these things. Chapter 3, the chapter on exhortations. Exhortations. First, general exhortations to living. How we are to put off the old man and put on the new man. And then some very specific exhortations. Uh, Christian conduct, rules for Christian conduct in our homes and in our jobs. How we are to live as those who are followers of Christ. Then we came to chapter 4, which I simply called Final Instructions. Those first couple verses, instructions on prayer, and then instructions on witnessing. We talked about both those two things in the last two weeks. Now we come to this last section, verse 7 and following, which I would simply call Final Greetings. Now, I have to confess, when I divided up the book, in preaching portions, uh, dealing with verse 7 to the end made a lot of sense to me. As I worked with this text this last week, I thought perhaps I should have just stop the series last week and that would have been it. Um, this last text, not necessarily easy. There are a lot of names here of people we really don't know or don't know much about. Now, there is a lot of suggestion, a lot of speculation as to who these people might be. I've read a lot of that this past week. But the pulpit is not a place for speculation. It's a place to declare the Word of God. So tonight, we're not going to look so particularly at who each of these people was, but we are going to look more generally as to as to what role they had in the church. And by looking at that, how, how they were a part of their church, we get a picture of what God's intention is for our church. How we are to act as members of this body of Christ. So tonight we look at Paul's final greetings. Uh, first, he says, um, Tychicus will tell you about my activities. And he says, we're sending Onesimus along with him. Tychicus and Onesimus, these were the two who were responsible for delivering this letter of Paul. They were delivering uh, both Colossians, and you remember a couple weeks ago we talked about the letter of Philemon as well, a letter to Philemon. They were the, the carriers of the letter. And both uh, Tychicus and Onesimus are described in very similar ways. Tychicus, he is a beloved brother and faithful minister. Onesimus, verse 9, our faithful and beloved brother. Beloved brother and faithful minister. This is the character of these men. They are beloved brothers. Not that they were related to each other, but they were brothers in the Lord. As a reminder that the church is the family of God. We may call each other brother and sister. That's not simply a social convention. That's a reality. We have been brought together as a family. We worship tonight 
not as just a group of individuals getting together, but we share a common bond. We belong to the family of God. And I would suggest that that these family bonds are even deeper than the bonds in our blood families. These family bonds have brought us together as a particular people. Some of you, uh, being here in this church, has caused difficulties with your natural family. But God brings us together in these bonds as part of his family. As a reminder, this is the nature of his church, bound together as the family of God. Now, we know that families don't always agree with each other. Families sometimes have disagreements. You know, we see that in our homes, perhaps between our our, uh, husband and wife, we disagree sometimes. Perhaps between parent and children, we disagree sometimes. Perhaps between the children themselves, we disagree sometimes. But when we disagree, we don't say, I'm no longer part of the family. We say, I am part of this family and therefore have to find a way to work through these disagreements. The same is true in the family of God. We may not agree on every particular point, but we certainly have a fundamental agreement. We have been brought into the family through the work of Jesus Christ. Beloved brothers and sisters, This is part of the character of the Christian church, a family, a family that belongs together. They were beloved brothers. They were faithful. Now, certainly, a faithful to the Apostle Paul, he trusting them with these letters to deliver to Colossae. But but beyond their faithfulness to Paul, there was a faithfulness to their Lord Jesus Christ to do what was necessary to be faithful to him. It was no small thing to take this trip and bring the letters to Colossae, but but they knew it was important to Paul, it was important to God, that his church receive this letter. And so they'd be willing to, to expend themselves for the sake of the family. They were faithful in the family. They wanted to be faithful to the head of the family, to their father in heaven. Beloved brothers, faithful. This is the character of those who are in the church of Christ. Beloved among each other and faithful to our God and our Father. And these two were given a particular task, a particular purpose that Paul spells out for us. Verse 8, I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. Also, Onesimus, they will tell you of everything that has taken place here. So you can know how we are. Now, Paul's concern is not so much that they know about him personally. Remember, this church uh, has not met Paul. He did not plant this church. He's writing to this church. So they, they don't know him personally. His concern is, so you may know what's going on with us, and that that knowledge then, will lead you to prayer for us. He's just talked about that at the the beginning of chapter 4. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful and thankful. At the same time, pray also for us. 
Well, we, we, we can't pray about that, which we do not know. And so Paul says, I am sending this letter that you might know how we are, that you might better pray for us, knowledge leading to prayer. Let us be the same in our church, a knowledge of each other leading to prayer, which is why I'm thankful that we do have uh, an email prayer chain, that if a particular need comes up, that is sent out on an email list. Now, if you don't know about that, then you have to call the office and say, please put me on that list. Because we can't pray about that which we do not know. That's one means we have of knowing each other's needs. Of course, in the bulletin we have the needs listed. We have to read that and pray for those to have the knowledge. He will tell you how we are so you can pray for us more particularly. He says, that you may, I've sent it for this purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. This one sent to be an encourager to the church. And that also speaks about what the church is supposed to look like. A, a family which encourages each other. Now, most people are not naturally encouragers. It's much more natural for us to be discouragers. I don't like this. I don't like that. I'm not happy about this. We tend to overlook the things we enjoy. We focus on the things we do not. Paul says we're to be encouragers of each other. I was visiting with someone yesterday um, whose uh, son had played uh, high school football, and he had a relationship with that football coach. Uh, most high school football coaches, uh, all they hear is, you should have played my son more, I didn't like that play you called, why'd you do it this way? And, and my friend would always go to the coach and simply encourage him. Never had a negative thing to say about how he ran the team. He was simply an encourager. Now, do you suppose that coach ever turned his back when my friend walked up? No, he wanted to have the encouragement. That should be the character of the Church of Christ, encouragers of each other, that we enjoy spending time with each other so we can encourage each other. Now, I know uh, you have been so encouraging to me as your minister. I have been so blessed by your words of encouragement, your notes of encouragement, the prayers you offer on my behalf. And I'm so thankful for the encouragement I continue to receive from you. I want to I, I somewhat challenge you to broaden that. We have office bearers in this church, elders and deacons who labor very, very diligently in the service of God and in our service. Please be encouragers to them. The elders sometimes face difficult decisions. They don't know which way to go. They don't know the best way to proceed. And just to have someone say, we are praying for you, is so encouraging. The deacons have to know who to help and when to help and how much to help. Those are difficult choices to make. And to have someone saying, we are praying for you that God might use your ministry to be a blessing to others, being encouragers of each other. Not just, the, uh, not just the leadership of the church, but encouraging each other as brothers and sisters in Christ. Perhaps there are some who are not feeling very much like they're a part of the family of God. 
And maybe they, they uh, stop coming to worship. Now, people miss, miss worship on occasion, but, but if they're not here for, for two weeks, three weeks, four weeks, one of the first things that comes to our mind so often is, I wonder what the elders are doing about this. They're not here. I would suggest that's the wrong question. Now, the elders have a role in that, to be sure. But the question we should be asking ourselves is, what can I do to encourage them to come back? Being encouragers in the church. Beloved brothers, faithful encouragers. This is to be the character of the church of God, the family of God. We have then in that next section, I've got six names listed on the uh, outline there. And something interesting about these six names, um, uh, Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you, and Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, and Jesus, who is called Justice. These are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God. These three men are Jews. These three men are Jews. Then he goes on, verse 12. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant, greets you. And then verse 14, Luke, the physician, greets you, as does Demas. These men were not Jews. These men were Gentiles. We talked about that a bit this morning. Uh, in Christ, Jews and Gentiles being brought together in one church. And there's something beautiful about that. Because it reminds us that, that it's okay to have diversity in the church. Diversity with regard to ethnicity, diversity with regard to social standing, diversity with regard to economics. I think if we had to be honest with ourselves and look at our history, going back some 20, 30, 40, 50 years, we would say historically, we are a Dutch Reformed church. There's nothing wrong with that. But I, I fear sometimes we put so much emphasis on being Dutch, we fail to emphasize, but we're Reformed. That is where we find our connection with the Scriptures and with the Lord. And so we're so thankful. As God brings in people, they may not be from our ethnic background, but they love the Reformation. They love the doctrines of grace. They love what God has done for His church, God's electing love. This is to be the character of the church, a diversified church. Different people brought together with a common confession. And notice what he says. Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. Mark. Parenthetically, concerning whom you have received instructions, if he comes to you, welcome him. Now, why does Paul include that here? Maybe you remember back from a reading in the book of Acts, chapter 15. Mark was the occasion of a division in the church. Paul and Barnabas were going to go on a missionary journey. Barnabas wanted to take Mark along with them. But Paul said no, because previously uh, Mark had left the ministry partway through. And it was such a sharp division that they didn't go out together. Paul went one way, Barnabas went the other way, because of Mark. 
Now, as Paul writes this church, he says, Greetings come from Mark, concerning whom you received instructions, and if he comes to you, welcome him. Even though he had been a point of disagreement between Paul and Barnabas, Paul now says to the church, do not hold that against him. Welcome him as a fellow brother. Paul, in many ways, acknowledging that there had been not simply a division, but a sinful division in the church, as he and Barnabas could not agree. And Paul saying, there has to be a making of amends. Don't hold this against Brother Mark, but receive him, welcome him as one of your own. A reminder that even significant decisions can be healed when we recognize who we are in Christ. We are, while we are a diversified church, we are a united church, united around what he has done for us. We all stand in need of his grace, and we all stand on the promises of the gospel, that even for us, the worst of sinners, our God would send his Son and wash us completely clean. And who are we then, as members of this family, to continue to hold anything against anyone. And the gospel is in many ways the great leveler. We all stand in need of God's grace. If you're here tonight and have not yet embraced Jesus Christ, if you are not yet a part of the family, then today is the day of salvation. To be brought in to the family of God. To confess Jesus Christ as Lord, your, your Lord and Savior. There's no the glory of having a family even greater than a human family. These, these brothers brought together. And as they are together in church, we read in verse 12 about Epaphras, who's one of you. He's always struggling on your behalf in his prayers. He, a church must be a praying church. We talked about that a bit two weeks ago. Instructions on prayer we talked about. And I asked you at that time, uh, in that message, instructions on prayer, I asked you, when is your prayer time? And to have you think about that and perhaps put that in your schedule. I guess tonight my question is, would be, and what is it that you pray for? Is praying for the local church and for each other a regular part of your prayer life. Not only those needs that we get on the emails or those needs we see in the bulletin, but simply praying for each other, lifting each other up before God's throne of grace. Various ways of doing that. I think one of the simplest ways is simply using our church directory and saying, okay, I'm going to take these five families and I'm going to pray for them this week, every day on my prayer list. I'm going to lift them up to God's throne of grace. And if you, if you don't know what to pray for, give them a call. Phone number's right there. Give them a call. I'm going to be praying for you this week. How can I pray for you? Imagine the, that church that is struggling in prayer for each other, exerting themselves in prayer for each other, that you might stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. Praying that the church might be a mature church, standing firm on God's holy word, that they be not led astray. The warnings from chapter 2, don't be led astray. Human philosophy, 
being captured by the law, don't be led astray. No, standing firm, assured of the work and the will of God. Paul then in verse 17 says this, And say to Archippus, See that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. Archippus is uh, only mentioned here in Scripture and, and in passing in the letter to Philemon. So we don't know much about who Archippus was. Why does Paul say, see that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord? Now it could be the case when talking about fulfilling his ministry that Archippus was a leader, was a minister in that church. That's certainly a possibility. But the word used here for fulfill your ministry is really the word service. Fulfill your service that you've received in the Lord. A reminder that all of us have been given tasks to do. All of us have a service to God and to His church. God has given us a diversity of gifts and abilities. We are not all the same. And so each of us are called with the gifts God has given to us to use those in service to God and in service to His church. Oftentimes when we are looking for a new church, uh, one of the questions we ask is, what will I get out of this church? Again, I'm not sure that that's the right question. The question is, how can my gifts and talents be used in this church? What part of the ministry can I fulfill? How can I help this church be more than it currently is? God's call for each of us to use our particular gifts. See that you fulfill the service you have received in the Lord. And then Paul closes this letter, verse 18. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Now what's going on here, children, is that Paul didn't actually write out the letter to the Colossians. Paul spoke the letter and somebody else wrote it for him. But now, at the end of the letter, it's, it's as if Paul says, now let me see that. And Paul takes that letter and he looks over it and he says, now I, Paul, write this in my own hand. He authenticates the letter by signing it himself. So they could be sure this was the words Paul wanted them to know. We as a church have an authenticated letter, not simply the letter to the Colossians. God has given us all of the Holy Scriptures, authenticated with the seal of nothing less than the Holy Spirit Himself. He testifies in our hearts that this word is true, authenticated by God. And so when we hear instructions in our lives, how we are to follow after God, walk for Him, how we are to live as the body of Christ, using our gifts for each other, that's not just good advice. That's the word of God for us. 
a word that's authenticated, as that word rings true by the power of the Holy Spirit within us. We've talked about direction for our life, how we are to live. This is, this is God's instruction for us as his church, as his body, as the family of God. Paul says, I write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. Paul's final word. Grace be with you. And Paul ends where he began. How did he begin this letter? Chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, and Timothy our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. Paul begins with grace. Paul ends with grace. A grace that is necessary. If we are to, to hear the words of instruction, if we are to give ourselves to the service of the church, the service of our God, we will need the grace of God to dwell within us. In the beginning of chapter 3, since you have been raised with Christ, now live in a particular way. Paul says that even that calling to live for God, that calling to be a part of his family, is a gift of God's grace. We have spent a number of weeks studying this letter, outlining this letter, looking at the structure of this letter. I certainly hope it has been, for you, more than simply an academic exercise to know more about this particular part of Scripture, but that God in His grace might use this word that we might be strengthened, we might grow in our love, in our service to each other, we might we might be that church even more so that God has called us to be through His Son, Jesus Christ. Let's join together in prayer. Lord our God, we thank You for Your church. We thank You for Jesus Christ, the King and Head of the church. And we thank You, O God, for this congregation. We are so grateful that you have brought us to be a part of this particular church. And you have bound us together as this family of God. Lord God, help us to reflect your word and to live as that family which you have created. We know we are weak and we are frail. We know we stand in need of your grace. We might live according to all of the words you have given to us. So strengthen our hearts, strengthen our desire. Help us, O oh God, to be the church of Jesus Christ, the family of God. Hear our prayer, for Jesus' sake. Amen.